Hi, welcome to Parenting the Adlerian Way. I'm your host, Adlerian family counselor and parenting expert, Allison Schaefer. Each week, I answer your burning parenting questions to help reduce the stress of parenting one tip at a time. We'll explore Adlerian psychology together and learn methods of child guidance for raising a happy, confident, capable, resilient child. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, it's Allison. Welcome back to the podcast. We have another guest interview, another author joining us today. And uh, I'm very excited to be in conversation with Rachel Katz. Rachel has a master's of education and has over 25 years of experience as an educator, a school leader, and a program developer for children. She's made her career choice at the age of six years old when she spent days counting with the cookie monster on Sesame Street. She learned from a bluey furry monster that she wanted to work in education and to make learning fun. Rachel's experience includes working as the head of school for the Discovery School at the Bay Area Discovery Museum and the head of social and emotional learning for the early years at Dulwich College in Beijing and as an elementary classroom teacher for preschool through third grade in public and private schools. In addition to working in the school settings, Rachel has created and written for television networks Nick Jr. and Radio Television Hong Kong. And she was also the consultant for educational programs at Children's Television Workshop. She's designed educational toys for Baby Care Limited and the Child Growth and Development Corporation. Rachel's the co-author of The Emotionally Intelligent Child, Effective Strategies for Parenting Self-Aware, Cooperative, Well-Balanced Kids, which I just finished reading and that's what we're going to talk about. Currently, she's writing a series of children's books on emotional literacy. Rachel holds a master's degree in education from Bank Street College and a BA from the Tisch School of Arts at New York University. Welcome to the podcast, Rachel. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so glad to meet you. And thanks to 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 your uh, co-author, Helen. I understand you said that she did uh, some of the some of the lifting in the creation of this book. Yes, absolutely. Helen and I worked together at the Bay Area Discovery Museum, where we ran a lab school. Helen ran the research division for the Bay Area Discovery Museum, which was called the Center of Childhood Creativity. And I took the research and then put that into an applied practice in the school. And then once we had a really sort of easy to transfer, easy to explain applied practice, we would take those practices and then disseminate them to larger audiences. 
And so what was the, is that the impetus for the book? Tell me how you decided that this was the book to write now. Well, so yes, this was absolutely the impetus to the book. Helen and I had started this work at the lab school. Um, It was our friendship really is what sparked the book. I mean, we spent hours and hours and hours thinking about how could we take this interesting research, but really sort of meaty and um, hard for a child to understand this research and hard for parents to understand this research. How could we make it really accessible? How could we make it accessible to parents, but then also think about really creative techniques to use to sort of take this research and apply it so that children could begin to start to think about their mental states, you know, think about their thinking, think about their beliefs, think about their desires. Um, And those conversations, Helen and I felt, let's take this beyond just the walls of the Bay Area Discovery Museum and to those people that would then be benefiting from the applied practices and write it in a book and share it with you know, the the largest audiences that we can possibly share it with. And so who well, who would you say is the target audience? Like who who would really benefit from reading this book? So the people that benefit from reading this book are curious parents, you know, parents that really want to know about the development of emotional intelligence. And then once they know about the development of emotional intelligence, really how to boost their child's social and emotional awareness and intelligence. Classroom teachers would be our great people to buy this book. We have lots of um, classroom teachers, librarians, people in school settings that work um, with kids really from early childhood up to, I would say, the early elementary years through like third grade, because the techniques that we use really are are up to those ages. Uh, We have lots of school counselors that use the book and buy the book and, you know, definitely get in touch with us to ask us about some of the techniques and how they would use that in a school counseling setting. We have lots of uh, psychologists and psychiatrists that also take these techniques because sometimes working with young children or working with families that have young children, you know, everyone's always looking for techniques and fun and creative ways to really connect children and get children's talking and to develop a child's self-awareness, really. And so, you know, talk about the structure of the book. I mean, I've read, I've, I was telling you that, you know, we had to get our interview, so I probably speed read the last three pages. But other than that, I really did have my time uh, to, to slowly enjoy it. And, uh, uh, you know, I've done teacher training at a couple of nursery schools here in Toronto. I've worked with teachers and so I, and, and I, and of course, work with families. So I was certainly consuming the information, thinking about the application of some of the exercises. Um, in, like it's to your point, it takes the, the theory, but it turns it into actionable activities that both parent and child can do or adult and child, depending on what your capacity is. And I, I really appreciated the practicality, but maybe talk about the, the how you set up the structure of the book in terms of how you delivered this great content. So the structure of the book really came from the structure of how we developed the lab school. You know, when we were working with the adults and the teachers and everyone that would have, you know, um, <clears throat> interaction with our students, we really felt that we should understand deeply the development of really, in essence, the development of our mind, you know, what does it look like to, how do we develop thinking about 
our behavior? How do we develop thinking about our thinking? So we did a lot of research and we collated all of the research that we could find and sort of simplified uh, the development of theory of mind, the development of language, the development executive function, and the impact that culture also plays in the development of those domains. And so the first part of the book shares with you all of the research that we found, because what we believed and what we absolutely noticed firsthand is that when we were really well versed in sort of the science and the understanding of the development, what when we made the practical, when we created the applied practices, they made sense. You know, we could then tweak them based on what we knew and how well-informed we all were. It also allowed our parent community and our teachers, everybody had the same language. And we had the language of development that was a little bit less personal than the language of each individual child, if you will. You know, we weren't focusing on like, this is this child and this is this child. It was, there is a developmental progression that humans go through starting from birth to, you know, to old age. And that's, we really wanted to focus on that. And we, I, and I really appreciated that fact that we, the developmental piece often gets dropped from the conversation. And you made this the lead point in this book. And for parents who might be hearing it going, oh, I don't want to read about dry research. That's boring. Let me tell you, it's not because they're kids and you have kids and they're endlessly fascinating. And just the same way that we've heard about the famous marshmallow test, which I know you cite in the book as well. I mean, I loved the, the you know, this is research with kids over like, well, this kid picks, picks broccoli and this kid has goldfish crackers and you know, what are they going to do? Or if you put the marble in this box and you put that one in this basket, which one are they going to pick? Like you're fascinated. You're, you're intrigued by how they set up the studies and you're like, oh, a three-year-old could do that or I can't do it, but a five-year-old can. I promise you it, it's fun research. It must have been fun to develop these research projects, but it's very fun in how you've spelt it out in very real ways. It's quite, it's quite, I found very fun to read. Right. Well, it was interesting. Like some of that research was, you know, with the broccoli and the goldfish, for example, <laughs> what we were saying, what we were helping parents to understand is that understanding that we have, that we, that humans, you know, all of us have different likes and dislikes is a developmental process and it's fascinating to watch. So a young child will just give you what they like. When given a choice, they just give you what they like. They're not watching to observe what you like. But then there's a switch, there's this developmental process where they go, oh my goodness, I like this, but they don't like that. So when I go to offer someone something, you know, when I go to share, I'm gonna offer what they like. And then you realize, okay, now this child understands like and dislike. So then from there, what is the conversation that you can have with the child? You can't have a, a conversation with a child about like and dislike until they developmentally pass through that stage. So that makes sense. Of course, now my mind is thinking about all those women listening going, so when my husband gave me golf clubs for Mother's Day and I really wanted the spa package, he should have had that figured out. <laughs> well, that's right. So in research, we're constantly saying, okay, developmental domains are overlapping all the time. So you know that people have different likes and dislikes because that 
development, you know, that you've developed to understand that, but your executive function skills where you're actually focusing, paying attention, you have to pay attention to your actions, right? You have to pay attention to what your wife likes. So sometimes those domains of development might be a little bit less off, you know, so that's why you have to then work on the focus and attention. And you know that already, okay, this person has already passed through this development of like and dislike, but now we have to focus on focus and attention so that my husband is watching my likes and dislikes a little bit more. <laughs> well, and, and this is where I think too, like reading the first part of this book, where you're you're teaching uh, parents about these, the amount of developmental pieces that have to happen simultaneously, right? Like you mentioned, the executive functioning is happening at different stages, language is happening at different stages, theory of mind is happening at different stages. They're all kind of concurrent, and they all influence each other. So these simple requests that we make to kids, and then when they have a meltdown, or when they don't fall through and we get so angry at them or we get so frustrated in our parenting because we don't realize what we've just asked a kid to do that that may or may not be a, a, an appropriate challenge or um, some kids lag in some of these developmental pieces even though they might catch up later right like it gives I really feel it was an invitation to for for compassion Absolutely. Absolutely. And we, right, there are parts of the book that we say, okay, we explain, we tell stories a lot about, you know, these meltdowns. And then we pull back and say, okay, let's think about what did we ask the child to do? And then so what developmental domains, you know, how much thinking do they have to do to respond to do what the parent has asked them? So in that sense, again, to your point of not focusing on just their child, we're just saying, pull back parents, give yourself a little bit of um, compassion too, and understanding that a lot of what's happening that you're witnessing is development. So don't be so hard on yourself. Yeah, that we're somehow failing in parenting because my kid had to be that kid that had the meltdown because the ketchup went all over the hot dog and the floor and they couldn't, you know, yeah. Right, right. It's like there's so many reasons for it. So pull back, relax, you know, think about it, inquire, think about your child, think about yourself, you know, don't immediately jump to blaming, shaming, criticizing or judging yourself or your child. That's really one of the key messages that we wanted to have in this book yeah it's a it's a very positive book so then that first half not only do you explain the developmental pieces that are happening but you're also giving some practical ideas of what a parent might do so if you have a child that's working on their executive functioning and you're working on say impulse control or you're um working on um flexible thinking and some of these other qualities you're you're what i appreciate about the books is that you're giving real things that you can do that flex those muscles that that call on that development um and maybe some parents as i was listening i was thinking gosh you know i did that with my kids but i didn't know why i did it like you know what i mean like you know when i was reading a story i might have said how do you think billy feels right now that his dog's gone missing i used to do that but i i didn't connect the dots with because when you ask those questions, this child needs to put themselves in someone else's shoes and they have to think about the emotional state of a different person. I think I just did it because I had some pretty good parenting from my parents who were parent educators. And I just, I was just imitating. I was just mimicking what I knew. But if you didn't have good parents who knew some of that stuff, you might not know to ask those questions when you read a book and you spell it out so well. 
Oh, thank you. Yeah, I really appreciate that. Yeah, that was really our intention to say some of these things that we do are just intuitive, but we take, we explain that those intuitive things that you're doing actually have a great benefit. Yeah. And I, and I also appreciated that you said there's a time for, for, for talking and, and, and processing these things and there's, but there's also a time to be quiet, which for me as a speaker, <laughs> as one who likes to talk, I needed to be reminded that important things happen when parents are quiet and do nothing too. <laughs> right. So that was in the part of the book on language development. And what we were really trying to share was language development is we're looking at communication skills really. And we're looking at not only what we say, but our body language, how we say it, and then the timing of what we say. So we try to focus on that, but we're also really careful to say a child has an inner world and they're developing their inner speech and talking to themselves. So when you give it, if we're always talking at a child and talking with a child and talking, 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 a child doesn't have a chance to be with themselves and work on their own inner world and learn about their own inner dialogue. So we're saying find that really healthy balance where you allow your child to have time with themselves. And when we say that, it's not necessarily sitting them in front of a screen. Because the screen is doing something for them. We're having the child do something with their hands um, or even be bored if they're not doing something, but they'll be developing that inner language to then learn about how they interact in the world. So when we talk to ourselves, how are we processing an experience? How are we making choices? What decisions do we make? And so a child, a young child might not know that right away, but by giving them quiet time, we're giving them the time to sort of talk with themselves. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. So the first part is this intriguing development of uh, theory of mind and social emotional intelligence and language and how that all comes into play and how to interact. But then you move on to the second part of the book. And that's really very much, uh, I think, like trade trademarked material. Like this is really where you've come up with a program, right? Absolutely. So again, related to our school and the work that we were doing was we were taking research and making 
applied practices. And so this particular framework, this applied practice, we called because we were looking at the development of mind, you know, the development of understanding our mental states, we called it the mind framework. It was kind of like a no brainer. And so <laughs> pardon the pun. Right, exactly. Oh, I didn't even think of that. <laughs> so it was just we would remind parents and kids, like, where is your mind? You know, we actually talked about what is the mind and like, keep your mind in your back pocket. You know, we had all these fun things to do, but the mind framework stood for the M for mindfulness, the I for inquiry, the N for non-judgment and the D for decide. And they didn't have to follow that particular order, but these were the skills that you could use to then be able to develop your self-awareness. So can we just, I, I want people to buy the book, so I don't want to give it all away for free on oh. the podcast, because there's a okay. lot more if you dig into the, but but um, you and I, before hitting the record button, we're talking that we had both had a long history in mindfulness, um, uh, but I was fascinated and wanted to ask you, you talk in the book on several occasions about your experience of being in China and even in introducing you, I, you know, you mentioned your work in China, but I'm so curious. So how did you decide to go to China and tell me the, the story of how mindfulness came into your life and how you knew that parents needed to hone this quality and, and bring kids into doing it with them because uh, the world that you and I live in has a, uh, we were joking about the fact that we live in these um, algorithms of, of silos and we think everybody is doing mindfulness practice and, and, and woefully few really are. And it's so, so important. So can you just say a little bit, how did you go to China? How did you end up meeting? Was it Dr. Zhu? Zhe? I don't know if I'm saying his name Dr. right. Like, <laughs> yeah. T just like, tell, tell me the story because this obviously touched you in a profound way. And it's a big part of the, the mind construct in the book. Right. Okay. So the mindfulness, I went to China in 1995. Um, I was brought over to work on the first call-in radio show for all these only children after the single child policy. Children were growing up, they didn't have brothers and sisters. The Chinese government and a private sponsor had the idea to develop a national Chinese radio call-in show to bring kids together. And they wanted someone who had experience creating children's programming and my experience with you know children's television workshop all my previous experience i thought well why not go to china i was very naive <laughs> so um, i'm very adventuresome i know this about you in the short time that we've known each other <laughs> right so i packed up i moved to china and um my mom had introduced me to meditation when we when I was a child. My mother would not let my brother and I come to the dinner table without meditating before dinner. And she taught us walking meditation. I did that for years and years and years. And then kind of, you know, as soon as I left the house, I was like, well, out of my mother's grip, I'm not going to do any more. Like I can eat dinner whenever I want. I don't have to meditate in order to get dinner. <laughs> so, uh, so I kind of dropped the practice. Um, when I moved to China, I became very involved in doing Qigong and Tai Chi. And I studied that. It was fascinating. And then I became a parent and really wasn't giving myself the time to do those practices. 
So, you know, if you'll see as a kid doing meditation, taking a break, going to China, finding something to do, studying Qigong. And then so knowing these practices, having felt them, but then stopped them completely again when I became a parent. When I became a parent, I had a really humbling experience. You know, here I was, this person that could educate all children. And I just thought I'd be a fantastic parent. Well, it turns out being a teacher and a child development expert is a lot different than parenting and raising your own kids. And I was really hard on myself. I was hard on my kids. I just, I got myself into a bad place and I had to think like, okay, well, what can I do? I talked to a really close friend I shared with her. You know, it was also, I was kind of ashamed to tell other people, you know, here I am, this child development person to tell other people that I was struggling. When I told my really close friend, she said, oh my gosh, you have to meet Dr. Joe. He is an amazing Tai Chi Qigong teacher. And at that moment, I realized, oh my gosh, that's exactly what I need. And Dr. Joe just brought the practice to life again, but he brought the practice to life for me as a parent. And he shared his stories with me. You know, this master Qigong teacher also had difficulties parenting. And we just developed this beautiful relationship. And that's what I shared in the book. And I shared those techniques because when I started my practicing my mindfulness meditation, my meditation in Qigong again, I was able to basically regulate my body, my emotions before reacting to my own children. And what I noticed, and now what I know behind the science of all of this, is that we have to get our bodies and our inner speech and sort of the tension that we feel, the physical tension and the constant chatter to a quiet place, to sort of a a balance, a regulated place before we can make intentional decisions. That's what I wanted to share. And that's what I then feel really important in this, the mind framework that we help children learn these practices so that they can feel what it feels like to get to that place of balance. Thank you for being vulnerable about your story as us other parent educators out there where we're like, yeah, we know a lot with our education and our jobs about how to do this. But then you give me a real baby, you give me a real toddler, you give me a real, you know, and uh, we don't know how it's all going to go. And it's things uh, and, it, and it does stir up things where we have a lot of inner talk about I should know better. And um, so I'm, I, I join you in um, feeling terrible about some of my parenting, even though I do this professionally. Um, right. We're all human, you know, we're all humble humans. And, and I too, through different routes, I didn't have a, I didn't have a, a Dr. Joe, but I had my own roots to this. And, uh, and I really, I, I appreciate you saying that that first step in being able to bring the mind and the body, that whole, the, the holistic view to, we need to get to calm before we can respond instead of react as a, as a core skill. Um, and that mindfulness meditation is the, is the training ground to do that, that I really hope that parents hear this and say like, that's, that's a, that's please take that as a priority as a starting point. Yeah. 
Yeah. And we just have to keep sharing that message because I really do. And it's not, and again, not yes, parents too, but like I think about my teens that are cutting and things doing, you know, and I, it's like, it's the same thing, learning how to deal with your anxieties, learning how to deal with your emotions, learning how to deal with the inner clatter. It's, these are life skills for everybody. And the sooner we start, the better. Right. Um, and I love that you, you advocate for, to your point, parents are learning this for the first time. They may not have had this in their life, but you're also saying, look, we're, you know, if we're learning it at 35 or 40 or whenever parents are parenting, but how great that you've got a, like a little three-year-old or a five-year-old that could be doing this with you. Right. Yeah. And then we, in the book, we absolutely explain what it looks like to meditate with a three-year-old and five-year-old. You know, it's going to be different to an adult practice. And we also say, look, if you're not able to sit, do it through walking. You know, if you're not able to walk, do it through something that you do. It, you know, let's say so do it through a routine, for example. Like if you know that you always have to wash the dishes, because we wash the dishes at the end of the, you know, you can bring some mindful approaches, some meditative approaches to when you're washing the dishes. So something that you regularly do, you can also sort of sneak in a little bit of practice, but really start out with, with sitting or walking or taking time. And it's a matter of like five minutes. You know, the research shows you need 12 minutes really to, to really feel it. 12 minutes is not a long time. Think about you spend 12 minutes, you know, on social media. Yeah. yeah. I mean, think about what's going to happen when you spend 12 minutes just learning and seeing your feeling the stillness in your body, hearing your inner speech and what you say to yourself and feeling what it feels like just to feel relaxed, you know, releasing the tension. That's all we're asking. 12 minutes of that. It's it's, it's very powerful. <laughs> Very, yeah. So hopefully we've got parents curious. I won't spend as much time on the other one, but just to walk through so we get all of the the mind framework uh, just introduced and we'll let them read the book to get the rest of it. Uh, so the I-N and D, can you introduce those? So the inquiry, you know, there's a lot of, of um, there's a power to asking questions instead of saying you did X, you know, it's sort of pulling back and asking yourself and asking your child, like, what is happening how is it happening? Not even necessarily the why, because sometimes we don't even know why we do what we do, but it's more just how, what, where, where does it feel in the body? Those kinds of things. So move away from telling and move into asking. It's much more powerful. The end for non-judgment, again, helping children and parents to move away from these patterns that we fall into of blame, shame, criticism, and judgment. And when we fall into those patterns, what's happening is that we're not connecting and that we're not connecting with others. We're not connecting deeply with ourselves. But when we just accept, when we learn to accept what's happening, our connections with others and ourselves is much deeper. And we know from the science, when we can connect we enter a place of more of joy and that joyful state is so so powerful for your physical well-being um, and then the d for decide what we really try to help emphasize is there's a timeliness to everything we do so when there's a cause and effect to everything we do but there is a time that we can respond to and react to that cause and effect. So you have this idea of where you're deciding, should I 
talk with my child before something because I've seen repeated patterns. So sort of preempt them, help them to anticipate. Should I talk with my child during, you know, an incident? And is my child capable of having a conversation during an incident? Am I capable? Am I regulated enough to have a conversation with my child during an incident? Or should I save it for later? And when I save it for later, if I have, if I'm timeliness, you know, if I decide that I'm going to bring up a topic later, it gives you a chance to decide when is the right time? What do you want to say? Why you reacted the way you did? So again, there's that, there's even when you do something later, it doesn't have to be three hours later, it could be two weeks from now, you know, so we, we talk a lot about that in the book. So good. I really want to encourage parents to, to, to pick this book up, to understand this developmental overlay that gets ignored, to uh, learn skills for ourselves as we realize that maybe we're a little developmentally delayed in some of our social emotional intelligence as we get a grip of that because we we can do very well in the world until we hit parenting and then boy do our buttons get pushed it's a real it's i think it's a in, in my humble opinion it's a beautiful time for self-discovery for parents if they can see it that way as opposed to beating themselves up about it right and leaning into where those pain points are and growing instead of feeling deficient um, and this book has so many activities. I'm thinking about like the, the puppet play and the emotion jar. Like there's just so many actionable takeaway things that you, know, you don't have to leave to the professionals. A parent can do this. Teachers can too, obviously. But it's, um, it's just quite a compendium of, of research, great writing, actionable items. I, I, I'm so thankful for the, for the read. Thank you. Do, is there anything that you want to talk about from a concept point of view in the book um, before we wrap up? Uh, I think we covered most of it. And I really appreciate what you said. I mean, you summed up exactly the intention of for writing the book and just what we were hoping to do. Um, yeah, I mean, nailed it, landed it. You did. <laughs> Bravo. Really wonderful. And I appreciate your enthusiasm. I, I'm really I'm honored, you know, really. Uh, well, uh, thank you. So it, it's, it's great to meet you. Where can people find you and follow you? Um, you know, we'll obviously put links to to where to buy the book in the show notes or whatever. But if people want to continue on your journey uh, I, I, and you really are having a journey, can, will you be willing to share just a little bit about, about, about what's going on in your life right now so people get a sense? Oh, man. So, well, I am writing now full time, working on lots of projects to teach these social emotional learning to children. Um, and while I write, I am fulfilling a dream that really my husband had, but I sort of came on came on board, another pun. Um, during the pandemic, we picked up a sailboat, you know, that was and we fixed it up and we are slowly sailing around the world. So, yeah, that's that's been really interesting. And also parenting. My, I have older children, but, you know, helping them understand what their parents are doing. <laughs> Why are my mom and dad sailing around the world? <laughs> exactly. It's really it's been quite an adventure. Um and I feel very fortunate that I can continue to to write and do this and bring this work for children and continue to research. So even while I'm, you know, at sea, so the pandemic really did have some silver linings. So I, I, I well continue being inspired to write. Your contributions mean a lot to the world. So so nice to meet you, and hopefully we'll have more conversations in the future. 
Well, I also did just want to say, because you asked how people can get in touch with me. Yes, please. Um, Yeah, don't be shy that I'm, you know, doing this adventure because actually we get internet and everything. So the best way to get in touch with me is through my LinkedIn page. And really, I do this work so that our future looks better, you know, like our kids should feel great. So if you have any questions, if you try a technique and this isn't working, you discover something new, I really do encourage you to reach out to me. I love to see your responses. I love to share. So please don't be shy at all. So you can find me through LinkedIn. Wonderful. That's so great. Well, I'm. I, it was a privilege to meet you. And like I said, I hope this is the beginning of having more conversations with you and have a wonderful adventure abroad. Oh, thank you so much. It's just a pleasure to share with you. Thank you. As you know, it takes a village to make a podcast. So thanks to my team, including Max Cotter, my editor and technician, as well as the crew at H2O Digital. This podcast was recorded in Toronto, Canada. We acknowledge the land we are meeting on is the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabek, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat people, and is now home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit and Métis. We also acknowledge that Toronto is covered by Treaty 13 with the Mississaugas of the Credit. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.